Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, please keep your Bibles open at John 6. And please also have your hand out there and you'll see the headings for where we're heading. Cool. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we praise you again for your word. We give you praise for your wondrous acts of faithful love throughout all history uh, for your people, those who love you and whom your love is set on. Help us this morning uh, to be reminded of your great love for us in Jesus. Help us to see uh, the wonderful sign that Jesus performs, but let it point us to true faith in him uh, and a life lived to him. for him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to walk on water? If you want to walk on water for just $20,000, you can walk on water with an electric surfboard or a flight board or a foil board, they get called. Uh, this is the product that gets touted as the closest thing that you can get to walking on water. It actually looks pretty fun, doesn't it? Uh, but I'm not suggesting that you go and sink $20,000 on one of these just so you can walk on water. Well, this is actually kind of fitting because today it's, we continue in our summer series and so it's you know, the beachy, cool place to be to walk on water, uh, yet we're also looking at the, the walking of water that Jesus performed. Uh, so this is a very summery miracle of Jesus today. So we're back into this summer series in John's Gospel. We've had a two-week break for Christmas and New Year's, but now again we look at these signs, these miracles of Jesus in John's Gospel. And by now, hopefully, we have it clear in our minds why John tells us about these signs. So remember what he says. Look on the screen. John says, These signs are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life. In his name. See, the signs, Jesus' miracles, they lead to belief, which then lead to life. These signs of Jesus, they point us to something of his glory, something of his majesty, who he is as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And then if we believe in him, if we believe what those signs point to about him, if we trust ourselves in him, then we can receive life in his name. He gives us eternal life, life in abundance. And then we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, life where we know God now and he knows us and he loves us, life now that flows into all eternity. So we've seen uh, the various signs that have shown us these things. We've seen Jesus turning the water into wine. That's the first one. We've seen the second and third signs of Jesus healing people. And last time, last uh, two weeks ago, we saw the fourth sign. Jesus multiplied bread for a multitude. And so in our passage today, uh, Jesus walks on the water, but it actually comes to us right in the middle of that chapter that we saw two weeks ago right in the middle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. In fact, uh, and so these just short five verses, they come after Jesus fed the 5,000, and then in the middle is this miracle, and then he goes on to explain feeding the 5,000 and what it means that he is the bread of life. And so it kind of makes us ask the question, why? Why did this miracle happen at this time? And why does John put it in this chapter? Is he trying to show us something? by putting it just here in this chapter with the feeding of the 5,000. I think he is trying to show us something. And we'll see how it fits together as we explore this short passage and this wonderful miracle. And we'll see what the sign points to 
about Jesus and his glory. So let's get into the story together now. The first thing that we see in this story is that the disciples are in darkness. So look at verse 16 with me. It says, When evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus, he's in Galilee. He's just fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And if you remember, the people responded by trying to force him to be king, to say, you will be our political leader. You will provide for us, Jesus. We want you to be king. But Jesus wouldn't have that. He refuses. That's not the kind of king he would be. And so the crowds, they dissipate. And it's at this point that Jesus and his disciples part way. They go one way. The disciples go across the sea, and Jesus goes up a mountain. So uh, the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and Jesus says, I'll meet you over the other side. And John tells us that it's evening when they set out. See, the sun has set as the disciples are crossing. It's darkness. Darkness has already set in, John says, uh, John really wants them to know, wants us to know, that the disciples were in darkness. Now, this wouldn't really be a big problem for the disciples. Uh, a bunch of them are fishermen. They were used to fishing in the dead of night. Uh, they did that all the time. They lived in Galilee. They knew these waters well. They're not so worried. They're professionals. Uh, at least some of them are. They're just crossing the sea, as Jesus said. So why does John make a big point of them being in darkness? about it being night. I think John's trying to tell us something because throughout the rest of John's gospel, John shows us this theme of darkness and light. And as Jesus speaks and preaches, he talks about darkness and light. Just look at how John's gospel starts. This is what it says about Jesus. It says life was in him, Jesus, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Just a few verses down, verse 9, it says, The true light, Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the light that shines in our dark world. He's the one who brings life, spiritual life, into a spiritually dark and dead world. And so here in John 6, John makes that point. He just hints at that idea again for us. He's getting us to ask, well, how is Jesus shining light into this situation? Jesus, the light, hasn't yet come to them on the water, it says. But it sounds, actually, that that's exactly what his plan is. Did you hint that? Did you get that hint as you read it? It sounds like this whole scenario has actually been planned out by Jesus. He's going to do something big and reveal his glory to his disciples. That's why he sends them across the sea without him. But his disciples, they face more than just darkness uh, because it seems Jesus has more to his plan than just that they're in the dark. Soon enough, the disciples also face danger. And they may have to cross the sea at night and they're, maybe they're fine with that. But soon the situation takes a turn for the worse. Look at verse 18. In verse 18 it says, Then a high wind arose and the sea began to churn. 
The Sea of Galilee, it was this huge body of water. It's 21 kilometers by 13 kilometers. And so it's prone to these bad weather conditions if the wind picks up. So suddenly the disciples, they're not just in darkness, they're also now in danger. It's all going wrong for the disciples. They're just trying to cross the sea, but now they've got this strong wind coming directly against them. Verse 19 says that they they got three or four miles across the sea and they're just rowing, trying to get through the wind. They're out in the middle of the sea going for hours at it. They're stuck in the middle, rowing and rowing and rowing. It just sounds like an awful thing to me. I don't know if you'd like to be in that situation. Uh, for us, I wonder if it's the same as, uh, as uh, when you get kind of every traffic light on your way to work or something like that. Or, you know, you're, you get every traffic light and then there's an accident. And so, the, you know, there's, a, there's all these banked up traffic. Uh, and then there's roadworks. And so you have to take this long detour. And then you get a flat tire. And so you have to change the flat tire. And then finally you arrive to where you want to go and there's no parks anywhere. That's kind of what the disciples are facing here. They're stuck. They're being held back. The situation is against them. But it's now that Jesus' plan can come to fruition. See, this was, it seems, Jesus' plan all along. It's now that Jesus can come to them and show them a sign and reveal his glory to them. Now, at this point, we need to do everything we can to defamiliarize ourselves with this story if you know it. And we need to work hard to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. See, at this point, they're tired. They're sleep-deprived. They're worried now about getting to land safely. And it's dark. They can barely see. Maybe they only have a little bit of light from the stars or the moon. Or maybe just dim firelight from the towns on the horizon. See, in this darkness... They're also surrounded by this churning sea and this wind that's just slamming against their boat and rushing through and past them. And they're doing everything they can to row and to keep pushing the water through the wind to try and get to the other side, trying to move the boat forward just a bit so that they're not just being pushed backwards by this wind. See, it's in this difficult and dark and tired and dangerous situation that verse 19 happens. Just picture it in your mind and how you would react. Look at verse 19. It says, After they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. You see, they may have been a bit afraid for their safety getting across to the other side, but now they are really afraid. Now they're terrified because in the darkness of that chaotic situation they're in, what do they see? They see the figure of a man, but this man isn't swimming or being swept around by the water. No, he's just standing, feet planted on top of the water. That's a frightening situation if you ask me. Out in the middle of the sea as it churns, as the wind rushes around them, a man walks on top of the water and he's coming towards them. It's like something out of a horror movie. Like you can hear the music swelling. He's coming towards them. What are they going to do? They're rightly afraid. And you would be too. Who can do what this man is doing? Their only conclusion is, is that he's some kind of ghost or spirit who's coming to get them because what man can do this? Who can walk on the water as if it were dry ground? Who can pass through the chaos of wind and waves and be unaffected? 
The disciples have battled in their boat for hours and Jesus just strolls across the water. See, whatever or whoever this figure is for the disciples, he's to be feared. But Jesus is not there to bring fear. Look at what he says in verse 20. This is Jesus coming to help his disciples, not to harm them. Jesus comes in peace, not fear, verse 20. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. He reveals who he is to them. He's like, guys, it's me. I'm not a ghost. You know who I am. I'm not here to harm you. But I actually wonder if he's saying more than that. See, I think he's actually revealing more of who he is, more than just, hey, it's Jesus, your master, your friend here. Because what Jesus literally says to them is, I am. Where it says, it is I, he says, I am. Do you know the significance of that phrase in the Old Testament? I am is one of those phrases that God uses to name himself with in the Old Testament. It's how he identifies himself. When God revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses, what did he say? God said, Moses, go and tell my people that I am has sent you. And so here, Jesus is giving just another hint of his divine nature, his divine identity. He is God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, I am in the flesh, stands before you on top of the water. Now, I don't know whether that, I don't think the disciples would have fully got that in that moment. But just combine the situation for us now. Just the fact that, that Jesus comes to them walking on water with power over creation like God. And the fact that he's powerful over the wind and the waves. Then he walks through them and when he then gets in the boat, the wind dies down. And then look at what he's, the fact that he's planned this whole situation so that he could then show his glory. Those things all combined together with Jesus saying, I am. What makes us think, Jesus is saying, I am God. He's revealing his divinity here. Maybe the disciples didn't get it. But that's what he's saying. That's what he's revealing to us here. But on top of that, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, if Jesus was God himself, and if he is Lord over all, even the wind and the waves, well, then he should be feared. We should fear the one who has this kind of power and authority. But his disciples need not fear him. Why is that? because he's come to them he is for them he is with them Jesus the Lord is for his disciples that's the other thing that Jesus wanted to reveal to his disciples that night see they think he's a ghost the reality is he is more fearsome than a ghost he's the Lord and so in one sense fear is the right response to Jesus we see that actually in the gospels people often feared Jesus but what does Jesus say to his disciples? It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I am for you. I am with you. I'm coming to you. I, the Lord of all, the great I am, I am with you and I am for you. See, fear is a normal part of life in this broken world. It's part of our human condition since Adam. But I think, I think that we as modern Christians, we put up with too much fear. 
we fear too many things too often. We're, we're worried and anxious about too much, and we settle for fear and worry because we fail to let Jesus and his glory and his love for us, we fail to let those things cast out our fear. See, we often don't obey Jesus' command not to fear those who can just kill the body, but instead fear the one who can destroy the soul in hell, God. And we fail, fail to trust him and take comfort and assurance that the one who should rightly be feared is actually for us and says, don't be afraid. What is it that you fear in your life? And do you have a right fear of Jesus as Lord? And do you have a right fear of Jesus in his majesty, but also an awareness of his love for you as his disciple? An awareness of his love that that then puts all your fears into perspective. See, Jesus' care, his concern for his disciples, the eternal life that he's given you at the cost of his life, it puts our fears into perspective. It shows those fears to be futile, meaningless, even foolish. See, why would we fear anything? Anything. He's the Lord of all who can walk on water and who comes to his disciples and who is with his disciples, who is for them and loves them. If he is for us, what do we have to fear? See, our fear of things in this world is a reality of our fallen existence. It won't go away fully and finally until Jesus returns and comes in glory. But, but shouldn't we at least try to see things the way they should be. That Jesus alone is to be feared. But he loves us. And so whatever might threaten our lives is actually not worth fearing because the Lord of all is for us. How do you need to change your view of the things that you fear in your life? How do you need to fear Jesus? You'd also not fear him because he loves you. And so there is nothing to be afraid of. Well, the story concludes in verse 21, just five verses after it started. Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. And then verse 21, look there. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. See, the disciples faced this darkness, this danger. But Jesus comes to them. The churning sea and the high wind are then gone. And then they get to the shore effortlessly. See, this is another aspect of this sign that Jesus performs, this miracle. Jesus, he didn't just walk on the water. He was in control of the whole situation. He sent the disciples across the sea for this purpose. He sent them a strong wind so that he could come to them on the water. And he planned to come to them on the sea and show them his glory as Lord over all creation and to show them he was for and with them to get in the boat calm the sea, and get them to their destination safely. The sea was calm. The situation was now resolved. Jesus had shown that he was for his disciples. The sea was calm, but I wondered what was in the hearts of the disciples at this point of the story. Wouldn't they be thinking, who is this man? I can't just believe what I just saw they would have been thinking. Did I really see that? Did I really see Jesus walking on the water? Did that really happen? And what does that mean? I think that should make us stop and reflect. 
Uh, we should finish by stopping and reflecting. What does this show us about Jesus? What does the sign point to? Why does John write it down for us? Remember, John writes to sh- uh, these signs to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So what does this sign in particular show us about him? Uh, him walking on the water, him controlling this whole situation, which shows us Jesus is the Lord and that Jesus is our light and our rescue. Now we've seen these things along the way, but I want to draw it together so that it's clear in our minds. First of all, we see Jesus is Lord. I don't know if you noticed this before, but but of all the signs in John's gospel, uh, as they progress, each one kind of gets more and more amazing. And I think that's true here. Yes, his other signs are incredible. They're, They're wonderful. We see that Jesus is Lord of creation in each of those miracles. But here we see that Jesus is Lord of all creation. Just, just think for a moment about the sea, the, the ocean. Uh, in Jesus' day, and for many places and many cultures, and even to this day, the sea, the ocean, is a place of great power and great danger, of fear and mystery. And even today, humanity and their best efforts have shown that the sea is uncontainable in its power, that it is a threat to our life and existence in many ways. Yet here, Jesus walks on top of it. He stirs up the wind and then he settles it. No issues, no sweat. See, no wonder the disciples were terrified. Jesus is the Lord, the Lord over all. It's so easy for us to take Jesus' lordship for granted. It just slips off our tongue so easily. Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe as Christians. But do we grasp the magnitude of his glory? Are we in awe of Jesus, the Lord over all? We can't let this truth slip through our fingers. When John says, all things were created through him, and when Paul says, all things have been created through him and for him, by him, Jesus, all things hold together. And when Hebrews says, he sustains all things by his powerful word, well, shouldn't we be in awe of Jesus? God in the flesh, the great I am who came to us as a man, as Lord of all. Shouldn't our prayer be that that the weight of his glory, his lordship, would be on our hearts and minds every day? Do we think of him this way? Do we fear him rightly as the Lord of all? But remember, as his disciples, we don't fear harm from him. He says, don't be afraid. So yes, Jesus is the Lord of all. Yes, he is to be feared, but he's also not to be feared if you're his disciple. Because if you're his disciple, he is for you. He is with you. He is our light and our rescue. Remember what John says, Jesus is the light of life, eternal life. He's the light that shines in the darkness. This is the one who brings God's salvation, who brings eternal life. That's what the light is in John's gospel. He brings eternal life to those in darkness. To those who live in this fallen world, those who are under God's condemnation, he transforms us. He brings us from death to life. And it's this sign here that shows us Jesus is our light in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world who gives us eternal life to those in darkness, to those who believe in him. But as well as that, this sign shows us he's the one who rescues his disciples. 
He comes to them in danger. He comes to them in their hour of need. He calms the wind for them and he brings them to their shore. He gives them life. Do you see how this miracle, this short five verses, is in this chapter for a reason? John 6, the story of Jesus multiplying the bread and then saying, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who gives you eternal life. And then here in the middle, another miracle that Jesus gives life. Real spiritual life, eternal life, salvation from darkness, from danger, from death. See, in this world, before Jesus returns, yes, we as his disciples will face all sorts of dangers and sorrows, but Jesus is the one who is with his disciples in all those struggles. And Jesus is the one who will rescue us from them all, often not in the moment. Often Jesus does not rescue us from those dangers, from those struggles, does he? That would would be to misread the sign here. This is not Jesus promising to rescue us from all danger, all sickness, all trouble, like he rescues the disciples here. No, it's a sign that points us to something even greater than that. That ultimately, he rescues us by giving us eternal life. He rescues us from our greatest enemy, death and condemnation. He brings us from death to life. He will one day raise us to eternal life in his kingdom where these things are no more. And only he can do this. And only he has. And during the week I was reflecting on this and it made me think of Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, When Paul was very near the end of his life and after he faced countless troubles, if you read the New Testament, you see all the hardship that he endured. Uh, Some of those things, some of those hardships were on the sea uh, as he uh, was shipwrecked. But he says this in 2 Timothy 4 at the end of his life. He says, the Lord Jesus will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely, not to a happy and prosperous life necessarily, he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the Lord Jesus, he is our light and our rescue. He rescues us from evil, from danger, not necessarily in the moment or right now, but He rescues us from the things that might threaten eternity for us. He rescues us from evil and danger, ultimately to bring us safely into his eternal kingdom. Do you rejoice in that? Are you glad about that? Do you put your hope in Jesus for that, for heaven, and not in whatever earthly aspirations that you might have or come up with? Do you believe in the Lord who walked on the water and so is in control of your life? Do you think that the Lord who gave his life for you doesn't want the very best for you? Won't he rescue you and bring us into his eternal kingdom? What do we have to fear? Jesus is the Lord of all. He is for and with his disciples. He's our light and rescue. He gives us eternal life to those who believe in him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we praise and thank you for the Lord Jesus, for this sign of him walking on the water and that it shows us his great power and authority as the Lord of all. But Lord, we also praise and thank you that it also shows us that Jesus is for and with us as his disciples. Thank you that you are saving a people for yourself through your son and that we follow Jesus in confidence that you will bring us 
to our eternal home. And we pray that you'd strengthen us through all the struggles and dangers we might face. Rescue us from them all, Lord, so that we might spend eternity with you in gladness and rejoicing. Amen.